When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Sunday, October 22nd. Who earned themselves some late season glory? That's the question I hope to answer for all of you listeners here on today's show as we have six championship matches to recap from across the ATP and WTA Tour. Of course, headlining them all is the first career tour-level title for 21-year-old Ben Shelton. The young American has had the mainstream textbook definition of a breakout season. It started in Australia with his quarterfinal appearance, of course, took another turn with his semifinal run in New York, and now you look what he has done over the past few weeks in Asia, his run to the quarterfinals in Shanghai, followed now, of course, by his run to the title in Tokyo. What a year it has been for the 21-year-old. And yes, it feels appropriate that it's punctuated with a title run here to end the season. I want to break down the mechanics of his victory over Aslan Karatsev. Discuss once again what has allowed the 21-year-old young American to succeed so early across levels in his young career. Of course, that wasn't the only fun match we had on the day. In fact, from a result standpoint, Ben's win pretty straightforward. We had plenty of other drama elsewhere in the world throughout the course of the day. And, you know, when I start to think three setters, I think about that battle between Sinyakova and Bozhkova. What a thriller it was in the Nanchung final. It was Sinyakova ultimately with a little let cord luck on match point. She's able to capture the title. What a run it's been for her these past few weeks. And look for someone who is perennially in the top five of the WTA doubles rankings. It's good to see her find her form once again on the singles court. I want to discuss what allowed her to just edge out her fellow Czech in Marie Bozhkova, take that title in Nanchung. Of course, I also want to break down back-to-back titles in Monastir for Elisa Merton. She wins the inaugural event last season. She gets the job once again done once again this year, this time via a straight set victory over Jasmine Paolini. You had the Mertens run in Monastir, the Bublik run in Antwerp, straight set win over Fee, of course, Kluge-Napoka, straight sets for Korpots. And then last but certainly not least, we'll get to that drama in Stockholm. How about Gael Monfi? 37 years young, as they say, as he captures his first title of the 2023 season. Recapping all of those matches and so much more, that's the agenda for today's show. Of course, a thank you to all of you listeners who tune in day in, day out. It certainly makes my job an absolute pleasure. And for all of us here at Crack Rackets, we do sincerely appreciate you trusting us to be your source for all things happening in the tennis world, of course. A shout out, as always, to Westoff for his tireless efforts, Dalton as well. 
well. And a shout out to the support we get from our dear friends at Tennis Point on this show, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. Two quick notes for all of you listeners. A, as always, like, rate, subscribe, review, share with your friends. I really do appreciate those of you who have taken the time to do so. Again, hopefully sometime next week, we'll have a bunch of comments for me to read from, and we'll go through the best of the best that you all offered, because many of you listeners, very clever, very funny. I always enjoy sharing your work. Part two, because you listeners... Again, continue to support us here at Crack Rackets. We'll have another pro event on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel for all of you fans next weekend. We'll be broadcasting the Norman Open. It's an ITF Futures event. Again, one of those lower-level tournaments where you see players in the collegiate ranks right now or junior players, just players who are trying to find their bearings in the pro circuit. They're competing on the future circuit week in, week out. We're excited to broadcast championship weekend of the Norman Open coming up Saturday, Sunday on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel. So be on the lookout for that content in the near future. I'll be keeping my eye on that event all week long here on this show so that we can preview the upcoming action and perhaps then you listeners will feel intrigued to come watch over on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel. So just two quick notes before we get into today's Sunday show again. Who earned some late season glory? That's the question I want to answer for all of you listeners. So let's begin recapping Championship Sunday in the pro tennis world. Let's start with Ben Shelton in Tokyo. Again, it was a fairly straightforward victory for Ben. Maybe that's the most impressive thing you can say for a guy who is still 21 years old, for a guy who was competing in his first tour-level final today in Tokyo, ultimately Shelton, 7-5-6-1, he knocks off Aslan Karatsev, faced one break point throughout the course of the match. It was in the opening game of the match, Ben fights it off, or opening service game for Ben, I think second game of the match, but opening service game for Ben, fights it off with a big serve, backhand serve and volley combination I mean, backhand volleys are always tricky, but not for the pros, not for someone with the strength, the feel, and the consistency moving forward already of Ben Shelton. And look from there, again, he coasted through his service games. He made 80% of his first serves, won 80% of those first serve points. And I said this in my preview yesterday. It was a bad matchup for Karatsev. Karatsev needs time to get into those backswings because when he has time to do so, again, we saw against Diebenauer, we saw against Machizuki, how easy it is for him to dictate with those weapons from the ground when he has time. Ben took that time away consistently. Uh, consistently. Obviously, I was going to say consistency, but obviously the word is consistently. This is where tennis vernacular has my brain all mixed up and in a tongue twister. Nevertheless, again, you know, whether it was Ben's ability to take that ball early on the rise, not only behind his first serve, but on the return of serve as well, I thought he did a much better job. Early in the season, you saw he was trying to get cleaner cuts on the return of serve. He was seeding 6 to 12 feet behind the baseline of space. Wasn't doing that against Karatsev. Was holding hit the baseline well again. Just getting the ball deep on Karatsev quickly so he didn't have time to, again, negotiate those big ground stroke backswings. Ben connects on a 5-all, 30-40, connects on a backhand, inside-in, return, gets to the net. Again, Karatsev missing the forehand pass. Shelton breaks. He holds from there, 7-5. He gets an early break in the second set, and he's rolling from there. And again, I hate to say the analogy, the machine is learning, because... 
Ben Shelton is not. I mean, he's a machine in the sense that the power he possesses, the size he possesses, the speed he possesses. You feel like it had to be built in some sort of laboratory because us normal humans don't operate with that sort of fluidity, power, grace, etc. But again, throughout the course of this season and particularly over the course of these past few months, as I've been harping on, it's been fascinating to watch him maneuver his way through points. Again, find that three-quarters pace, loopy, neutral forehand with, you know, again, 75% depth and just, again, patience, I suppose, not hitting himself out of matches too early. Obviously, the serve has always been the moneymaker for Ben, not only over his run this season, not only over his run in the Challengers last year, but obviously during his time in college. I've said it before, my favorite quote I've ever received. I asked someone what it's like to deal with Ben's slice serve out wide on the ad side, the lefty slice wide, and he said, Alex, you're just f***ed because when he makes it, he's either aced you or he has such an easy plus one forehand or such an easy volley that you're just losing the point for sure. And to see that serve so frequently have that similar level of success at the highest levels of the sport. I mean, again, it speaks to Ben as an athlete. I'm trying to think of cross-sport comparisons for Ben Shelton, just sure things. I mean, I don't know baseball well enough to know the Shohei Otani comparison. I think Shohei Otani would be more along the lines of an Alcaraz than a Ben Shelton right now, but... Man, you feel good about Ben's prospects moving forward. It's kind of like Justin Herbert when he walked into the NFL, the current Los Angeles Chargers quarterback, former Oregon Duck, who he had the size, he had the weapons. How quickly was he going to put together the nuances of the game, reading defenses, checking his coverages, checking into making his protections to make sure he's not getting sacked on every drop back? Again, I'm not going to talk too much football for you, but yeah, that feels like Ben Shelton. He's just coming. I, I don't know how else to say it. It feels like this is Bruce Wayne when he got back from training with Ra's al Ghul in Batman Begins, where you're just like, oh my God, he just put on the Batman suit with his first title. Now what happens? Let's see. Well, first and foremost, uh, he's going to go take down Kingpin number one, in this case, win the Tokyo title. What comes next? I, I, I was going to say, I was going to say he's going to take down Falcone, but I was like, how deep into this reference are we going to get? Anyways, this was him taking down Falcone and putting him on the light. This was his way of saying, hey, sorry, Tommy. Sorry, Marcos, who was up again, 7652 double break in that semifinal on Ben. Sorry, Aslan Karatsev. Ben Shelton, he's not going anywhere. It's his first career tour level title. And again, it's holding serve 84% of the time. It's top 25 number on the ATP Tour. He's 21 years old. It's his first full season. And, you know, again, now he is solidly over 500. And he's going to finish the season inside the top 20 of the rankings. You look for Ben Shelton win this with this win, currently sitting at 14 in the live rankings, 14 in the points race. According to our dear friend Parsa Damati, and you can find this tweet on his Twitter account, Ben Shelton's first tour-level title in Tokyo has bumped the former NCAA singles champ up to 14 in the ATP rankings. He's the highest-ranked player with collegiate ties in the ATP singles rankings. There will now be four American men ranked in the top 15. It's the first time four American men have been ranked in the top 15 since March 24th, 1997. I was one and a half. March 24th, 1997. Of course, who were the men then? I'm glad you asked. It was Sampras, Chang, Agassi, Todd Martin, 
We also had four top 16 Americans April 17th, 2006. I was 10 and a half. My younger brother was about to turn four. Those men, Roddick, Blake, Agassiz, Ginepri, they were 23, 26, 35, 23, respectively. Sampras, Chang, Agassi, Martin, they were all 25 or 26. You look at this current group, Fritz is 25, Paul is 26, Tiafo's 25, Shelton's 21. We're going to get this group for a while. And again, it's another first since the 90s for American men's tennis this season. Everyone refers to the 1990s, the days of Sampras, Agassi, Courier, Chang, Martin, Washington. The list goes on and on. All these different guys. That's considered the golden era of American men's tennis. Obviously, those guys produced slam titles in a way, the current crop of players, and I would include Sebi Korda in that list of four, even if rankings-wise, he's not quite there yet. This list of players has not done that. They have knocked on the door. They have a couple of players now, Shelton, Tommy, Francis. They've all reached slam semifinals. Fritz has gotten to a a quarterfinal. Korda's gotten to a quarterfinal. Eubanks has gotten to a quarterfinal. We're knocking on the door. Again, American men's tennis has not broken through yet, but is this the best season for the American men of the 21st century? It's a November podcast topic, no doubt about that. Has to be in the discussion. Obviously, 03, Roddick wins a slam. I'm aware of that. If you want to say 2000, 2001, 2002, again, we can have that debate in November, but certainly the best year since 2010. Uh, at least 2010 and 15 years maybe since 2008. I don't know. When did Roddick play that Wimbledon final against Federer? That felt like a pretty fun moment in my childhood. Not since that has there just been a buzz around American men's tennis the way there just has to be right now. If you're a fan the way I imagine many of you mini break listeners are. And again, it's a topic I look forward to exploring. I actually started to put together some numbers for a segment I did on second serve T2 and tennis channels. Uh, what, what, how do they call that street? What, not the experience, not the live stream, the Manning cast equivalent, second screen, second screen experience. That's what it's called. I started to put together some statistics to compare all the American stats. Taylor Fritz has had the best statistical season. You just look at the numbers. He's got seven top 20 wins. That's more than double the rest of the field, although actually Shelton's got four, so not quite double Shelton, but certainly close to it. You know, again, he's got more wins than anyone else. His hold percentage, I believe, is the best of the bunch. His break percentage is a top 25 club member. I believe just him and Tommy, uh, him and Tiafo are the only two you can say that about. Again, he's got three titles this year. He also did make a slam quarterfinal. He's 7-7 seven and seven against top uh, – his 16 wins, excuse me, at the Masters. Tommy's got 12, but again, it's pretty significantly clear of the rest of the field. Taylor has probably had the best statistical season. He's not in the points race. That number will tell you that alone. But who was the best American of 2023? I think Tommy on hard courts, his best was better than Taylor's best. Obviously, Shelton beats both Tommy and Francis on his way to that U.S. Open semifinal. And then, as I've alluded to before... I think the best I've seen from any American man this season was Sebi Korda in the month of January. Match point on Djokovic in the Adelaide final. Yes, he loses that match, but then beats Medvedev Hercots on his way to the Australian quarterfinal. 
also the four semis in five events to end this season. He's rounded out his form. I think it's a legitimate five-man race for who is the best American man, uh, men's player right now. No disrespect to guys like Eubanks, Mackey, Wolf, Garone, who have all had really solid years and you know, again, have have had their moments. Certainly, Chris Eubanks was the best American in the grass court season. But totality, start to finish, highlights, significance off the court, who, who drew a following, who's the biggest storyline of the year. You factor in all of these things, the race for American, uh, the best American man becomes very fascinating. And again, it's something we'll explore pretty soon. We're only... 10 days away from the start of November and getting into our off-season podcast. Obviously, only a few more weeks of pro events, and I know you guys want me probably to get back to the other five we saw on Sunday, but man, what a fun run, seriously, for the American men this season. It's been a joy to cover it all, and I look forward to watching it continue to unfold, not just over the next few weeks, but certainly over the remainder of the decade as well. For Aslan Karatsev, again, he's back up to 37 in the live rankings. I think for the Russian, after his dip in 2022, you look at what the 30-year-old was able to accomplish here this season. Rock solid, 32-21 record. He obviously goes third-round U.S. Open, semis Zhuhai, now finals Tokyo, in three of his last four events. I think that's about what you would hope for if your Karats have down the home season stretch as maybe even a best-case scenario. Oh, and two against Ben Shelton during that stretch of time. But hey, Ben's going to Ben. Good ending run uh, of the season for Aslan Karats have to just find his form. Steady the ship heading into 2024. That was your action in Tokyo, and I suppose in doubles. This was a 500-level event. Shout-out to Rinki Hijikata and Max Purcell. I mean, again... Talk about following up your Australian Open title run if you're Rinki Hijikanta Purcell again. Lamons Withrow, by the way, into the semifinals there. They are hot in pursuit of the ATP doubles race finals. And you look at those doubles race finals right now, uh, I believe Withrow Lamons, yeah, they've worked their way all the way up to number 10. They're within 100 points, though, of 8th place, Murray and Venus, and there are still five spots up for grabs. Now, Granola's Zabios are going to get that uh, one of those spots, but four real spots up for grabs, given what we have left, and that's why it's not a surprise to see Lamons Withrow straight from the Tokyo semifinals to, the Vienna, uh, to Vienna to play this week. It's a real race. Let's have some fun. Down the home stretch, keep your eye on all of those doubles results because, again— I think elite doubles can be extraordinarily an elite watch. And so, again, that's what happened, all things Tokyo. Let's move over now to the action in Nanchung for what was certainly our best final of the day from a drama standpoint, from, dare I say, even a physicality, a quantity, uh, just a quality standpoint. What a war between Katarina Sinyakova and Marie Bozhkova. And ultimately, it was the 27-year-old Sinyakova. 1-6-7-6-7-6. She takes the title, as I alluded to earlier. Let cord backhand trickles over the net on match point. It was one of their many 15, 20-plus shot rallies in this match. At one point, there was a 47 uh, shot rally and when Bozhkova wins that rally she's up a set and a break it just felt like okay this was it and you know again Bozhkova served for the match up a set in 5-4 Sinyakova able to break in that moment and again Sinyakova was broken eight times throughout the course of this match Bozhkova broken six different times what a delight 
It really was just an absolute war. Sidyakova just a little bit easier for her to generate power uh, to hit through Bozhkova end points moving forward, end points at the net confidently, but the margins were so thin. Again, it was an absolute war of attrition, and for the 27-year-old Sinyakova, it's title number two for her of the season, title number five for her at the tour level of her career. She moves back into the top 50, up to number 44 is the 27-year-old as a result. And remember, she didn't just make the final here this week in Nanchung. She made the final last week in Hong Kong as well. You look now uh, for Katerina Sinyakova overall on the season. She's now 24-19. and 19 following this 9-1 run, so 15-18 and 18 coming into this two-week stretch. Epitome of steadying the ship, and again, one of those outliers you look for here at the end of the season. Who did something to put themselves back in the mix? Certainly, you have to say that about Katarina Sinyak, but you have to say that about Boshkova, by the way, as well. Her last four, uh, four of her last five events, quarter Cincy, Third round, three-set loss to Jabur at the U.S. Open. First round loss in Beijing, we can ignore because she goes quarter soul. Final non-chung after that. You look for Boshkova as a result. She's back up to number 35 in the live rankings. Again, had very little to celebrate before her round of 16 at Wimbledon. Stays in the mix. That's all you can ask for if you're Marie Boshkova and again. Talk about a good year for the Czechs. Here are the Czechs right now, currently inside the top 40 of the rankings. Number six, Vondrosova, eight, Muhova, 10, Krechikova, 12, Kvitova. You also have number 35, Bozhkova, number 36, Pliskova, number 40, Naskova's at 41, Sinyakova's at 44 as well. I didn't mention either Fruvertova, who are coming up the ranks also. They're doing something right in in developing uh, these talents in the Czech Republic. So that's the place to study. If we had the budget here at Crack Rackets, I would spend the month of December with the Czech Federation being like, all right, what's going on here? What did we get right? Because they got it right. They were, Again, Krechikova's 27, Muhova's 27, Vandrosova's 24, obviously Naskova, Fruvertova's working up the ranks as well. It's a discussion worth having. We'll have to have David Kane on to have that discussion at some point in November. One of your other finals in uh, on the women's side over in Monastir. No drama. All business this week for Elisa Mertens. She does not drop a set on her way to a second consecutive Monastir title. Of course, she won the inaugural event last year. Again, three in love over Jasmine Paolini in the final. Talk about salvaging the season for an Elisa Mertens who really hadn't done anything notable in this 2023 year. That doesn't mean she's had a bad year, but what's the notable result? Third round lost in Australia to Sabalenka. Par for the course. Fourth round loss at Roland Garros, three sets to Pavlochenko. I guess her beating Pagula at Roland Garros, that was a significant moment, but obviously knocked off in the next round. First, uh, Second round loss at Wimbledon to Svitolina. Third round loss to the eventual champion, Goff, at the U.S. Open. But again, that's a fine year. She had a solid year at the majors. But outside of that, you look at quarterfinals for her this season. They came in Monterey, Hong Kong last week, and now this week on her way to the title in Monastir. And again, in winning this title for Elisa Mertens, you look for her tour-level titles. It is now the eighth of her career First of the season and her only final of the season as well for Elisa Mertens, back up to number 30 now in the live rankings. 
If you have a weapon, you're going to make her life more difficult on that forehand wing because she does like to load on that side, and it's a little harder for her to trap that ball the heavier it comes in with. But, man, she just didn't give anything away for free this week. Some of the lob winners she hit, particularly down the home stretch of set number one against Paulini, it's what allowed her to separate Paulini's inability to finish decisively at the net. That was the difference in set number one. From there, Mertens pulled away. Again, I've mentioned all year long, Jasmine Paolini is in the midst of a career season. The 27-year-old Italian currently sitting at a career high, 29, one spot above Mertens. And that feels right, given the season she has had. But credit to Elisa Mertens. She was dominant this week in Monastir. It was really impressive to see. And then... Unfortunately, if you're a Kluge, uh, if you were a fan in Cluj Napoca, the hometown Romanian Elena Gabriela Rusa falling just short in her title run. Uh, she falls in the final to Tamara Korpat, six three six four first title for Korpat in her first tour final uh, level finals appearance. And look, Rusa was up three love in the opening set of this match, but. Man, Tamara Korpatz is fun. Just hits like a springy ball off of her racket. It's not a, you know, it's not certain even close to Serena Williams Power Tennis Country Club, but the rotation on the ball, the action, other word for topspin. Again, she goes loopy on you. She'll go high and heavy only to lull you into doing that back, and then she slaps a forehand by you, and it is a full-on slap. I really liked what I saw from Tamara Korpatz in her 3-4 and four victory. And again, for the German who was fighting for her top 100 spot, she's now up to a new career high, number 70, guarantees a spot at the 2024 Australian Open main draw and the healthy paycheck that comes with it. Korpatz was excellent all week long. Again, no one was consistent enough with their weaponry to hurt her. Now, the draw certainly opened up for Korpatz. The draw certainly opened up for everyone after the top two seeds were knocked out in the opening round and three of the top four in Kirstea, Parks, and Minin. But credit to Korpatz in that chaos, again, was just the state. It could just do the most things. I don't know how else to describe it. And you know, again, not just the loopiness, that ability to push Rusa six feet off the baseline, but to push Rusa into the outer thirds as well. Korpatz played fabulous tennis in her run to the title. Three and four again tomorrow. Korpatz taking the first title of her career for Elena Gabriela Rusa. Gained 61 spots in the live rankings. The 25-year-old who, of course, has a career high of number 51 back up to 127 in the live rankings. Steadies the ship with her result this week. Back on the men's side for our final two results in Antwerp. A credit to Sasha Bublik was just too powerful for Arthur Fia. Four and four victory for Bublik. Went unbroken on the day. Did face some break points. I think he was serving 3-2, 15-40. Ace wide on the first one. Big serve draws an error on the second one as well. And look, the recipe was clear. Not to pat myself on the shoulder, but to pat myself on the shoulder Serve to the forehand. Fee just forced to chip that ball in these conditions, and those chips just meant Sasha Bublik got to do whatever he want with his plus one shot, and his plus one shot just had it on this day. Again, Ford Bublik fights off all three break points that he faced, won 97%, 97% of his first serve points. It speaks to, again, Fee was really struggling with that, with that speed on the return of serve, but Arthur Fee, Two finals, five semifinals at the tour level this year. I made my full 
stake for his new uh, my claim for his newcomer of the year award uh, my case not claim my his case for newcomer of the year on yesterday's show if you want to hear more on him go check that out but credit to Bublik two finals this year's two titles Bublik now sitting at 30 in the live rankings which is remarkable considering the fact he is under 500 for the season when he wins he's great when he doesn't win it can be awful yeah he's 26 and 27 overall on the year 10 and 15 in first matches at events but 10 of those 15 for uh 10 of those first round win- two of those 10 first round wins excuse me have turned into titles so credit to the big hitting Bublik takes advantage of the indoor hardcore conditions in Antwerp he takes the title and then last but certainly not least shout out Gael Monfi given the injuries given the age given what I saw him look like in Phoenix back in March I didn't think he'd get back to this level so quickly but again He's a one-of-one one, athletically, one of those gifts we've been dealt as tennis fans to enjoy throughout the course of his career, the 37-year-old capturing the title in Stockholm, 4-6-7-6-6-3. He knocks off the qualifier, Pavel Kotov now. Again, first final for the 24-year-old Russian. He's up to a new career high, 81 in the live rankings, up 28 spots, fantastic week. He had his chances, up 6-4, 5 all, love 40. Monfi fights off three break points with three decisive plus one forehands and you added that with the underlying physicality again I thought it was a wonderful home stretch performance for Gael Monfi who with this result he's back into the top 100 on his own rankings back up uh, on his own merit back up to number 90 in the rankings means he's not going to need a wild card into the Australian Open may need some wild cards into other things but You know, again, as he slowly returns to form, if he has a good result in Australia, certainly his level will justify those wild cards. It won't just be an appearance. It'll be a no. He's on his way back. You don't want to face him round number one sort of wild card. Yeah, look, 37 years old, young, however you want to say. He's been in our lives for 20 of them. You know what Monfi looks like when he was in form and he needed all of the mustard to knock off Katov. Still, that Katov forehand, it's unpredictable. He can snap through it. He can find it in funky positions. I like what I've seen from the Russian. I don't know if it's top 25 upside, but it wouldn't shock me if he sneaks his way inside the top 50. Still, heck of a week for him. Heck of a week for Gael Mofi, who, by the way, since I know all of you are curious, I mentioned yesterday this was his 34th appearance in a tour-level final. It's his 12th tour-level title. So shout out to the 37-year-old Frenchman. That said, that'll do it for our recap of Championship Sunday at the tour level. Again, plenty of late-season glory up for grabs. Still, as our action moves on to, I believe, Vienna and Basel on the men's side this week. Again, just two weeks left before we get to the tour finals on the men's side. I believe we have two events on the women's side this week. Maybe even the return of that elite trophy event where the 9 through 16 in the rankings have their own tour finals equivalent. I got to check the schedule. I'll do so and come back fully prepared for tomorrow's show as we set the scene for one of the final weeks on the pro tennis calendar. Of course, a shout out as always before we end this show to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the of an ending job he does day in, day out, making all of our content possible. A shout out as well to the support we get from our dear friends at Tennis Point. Remember, it's tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15 for all of the latest and greatest products in the tennis world. With that said, for our fantastic super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point, from all of us here 
at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break. And we'll talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.